may all that you stand for and that we stand for be preserved under the providence of God for the happiness of mankind. The trouble is caused by unthinking people who carelessly throw away ageless ideals as if they were old and outworn machines. But it is the values of individual liberty, equality before the law and the supremacy of people over the state to which we can always with confidence return as a powerful and uniting force. Australia is not a secular country. It is a free country. Last week's headlines included the sad news that healthy young people are dying from SADS, an acronym for Sudden Adult Death Syndrome. The Royal Australian College of General Practitioners says SADS is an umbrella term for unexpected deaths in people under 40 when even a post-mortem can find no obvious cause of death. They are genetic conditions which occur because the electrical system of the heart is not working properly, so that the heart beats with an abnormal rhythm. That's what the American SADS Foundation says. These conditions can be treated and deaths can be prevented. The top two warning signs are family history of a SADS diagnosis or sudden unexplained death of a family member and the fainting or seizure during exercise or when excited or startled. If you have cardiac symptoms like chest pain, shortness of breath, or you can't keep up with friends exercising or walking, see a cardiologist. Mm. Cardiology researchers have previously suggested that the complex effects of pandemic lockdowns would probably lead to more deaths from heart disease, a phenomenon dubbed post-pandemic stress disorder by psychologists in the UK. Well, today's show will be probably unsafe for big tech, meaning we'll be exploring topics with facts, evidence, data, and logic, which the thought police will not approve of and will then seek to punish us for. So after this live stream is finished, we'll be removing the videos from Facebook and YouTube and only leaving up this introduction. To watch the entire conversation, head to our website, goodsource.news, where the whole video will be posted uncensored. In today's show, I'll be joined by Matthew Littlefield, co-author of a soon-to-be-released book called Defending Conscience, which you can pre-order from defendingconscience.com. Joining us also is Leanne Bartram, a forensic accountant who is working with a legal firm to help people make police reports about their vaccine injuries. Like I said, you'll be able to watch the whole video at the website goodsource.news. I'm Dave Pello, and this is Pello Talk. May all that you stand for, and that we stand for, be preserved under the providence of God for the happiness of mankind. The trouble is caused by unthinking people who carelessly throw away ageless ideals as if they were old and outworn machines. But it is the values of individual liberty, equality before the law and the supremacy of people over the state to which we can always with confidence return as a powerful and uniting force. Australia is not a secular country. It is a free country. Before I introduce today's guest, we need to agree upon some definitions. First, what is the definition of a vaccine injury? Well, what you or I think doesn't actually matter. But right up until 2020, epidemiologists were trained in a process for determining 
the causality of vaccines to subsequent sickness and death, called the Bradford Hill Criteria. These were the most frequently cited framework for making such determinations from 1965 until now. Now, now I just want to be clear about those numbers. Uh, uh, is your um, regulators over there accepting that uh, 10,000 figure as deaths that are linked in some uh, direct way to the vaccine? Or like ours, are they saying that, no, 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 they're just deaths following administration of the vaccine? So are they accepting that there is a causal link or are they just saying that this could be coincidental? The external analyses by Rose, McLachlan, now we have ones from one by Kostoff. Uh, these papers uh, that analyze things go, go through collectively a process. I'm an epidemiologist, so I, I'm trained in doing this. It's called the Bradford Hill Tenets of Causality. So the first um, uh, criterion is, is there a dangerous mechanism of action? The answer is yes. The vaccines, in a sense, hijack the body's uh, own cells to produce the dangerous spike protein from the lab in Wuhan, China. So we know there's a dangerous mechanism of action. The spike protein damages organs, causes blood clotting. Our FDA says it causes heart inflammation. There's no doubt about it that the spike protein is dangerous. That's the first uh, tenet. Second tenet is, uh, do the deaths occur in close temporal pro pro proximal, uh, is it closely related in time? The answer is yes. Yep. It, it's, it's almost immediate after the vaccine. Uh, in fact, we know the spike protein is actually measurable in the bloodstream within an hour. People are dying within uh, just a few days of the vaccine. So that's met. Uh, the next criterion, is it a big signal? It's like, yes, there's been, obviously, this would be the most uh, deadly biologic uh, agent ever used in clinical medicine. So the answer is yes, we got that. Then the other criterion is, is it internally consistent? Well, we see all these non-fatal events like heart attacks, strokes, myocarditis, blood clots. You, FDA tells us that these products can cause blood clots, deadly blood disorders like vaccine-induced thrombocytopenia, hyperia. So yes, it's internally consistent. Then the final criterion for the Bradford Hill criteria is basically external consistency. Is what we're seeing in the US CDC VAR system, is it seen in the yellow card system? The answer is yes. The evidence-based consulting group in the yellow card system has basically put a report to the MHRA saying shut down the program. It's not safe. And the same thing is with the uh, EMA in the uterus system. Uh, so we actually have met all the criteria for causality. So I'm telling you as an epidemiologist, yes, the vaccines are causing deaths, certainly in the large proportion of cases. Now there's been a nursing home study from Scandinavia, and I believe the first author is Kirkendall, and they've looked at, uh, they had 100 deaths, if you can believe it, 100 deaths due to the vaccine. They analyzed the deaths in these seniors and what they found is they ascertained in chart review that actually 40% went directly due to the vaccine. Well, I don't care if it's 86% or 40%, it's too much. One death is too much. One death is too much. People should not volunteer to sign up for a vaccine research program and end up dead within a few days. And sadly now, uh, we know that the smallest number in America is 10,000 deaths, but it could be as big as 50,000 deaths. It's so it's such an outrage. Well, next, it's important to understand the difference between being forced and being coerced because both are wrong, but they're not the same thing. Just because you weren't physically forced to do something does not prove you weren't very really coerced to do something against your will and conscience. 
Matthew Littlefield, how do Australian governments define coercion? Thanks, Dave. Yeah, this is really important to define. As you pointed out there, uh, one thing one thing I've seen happen over and over again in the last uh, few months is people say, well, people weren't forced to do something, get the vaccine, therefore they weren't coerced. And they conflate the two issues and then reject the idea of coercion because of that conflation. So who can we turn to to help us to define what coercion actually is and what it means? And here we go. We get some help from the Premier of Queensland. I'm going to read this. This is actually from a book written by myself and uh, Tim Grant, co-author, which is coming out soon. And this is what we've written here. And just, just a couple of paragraphs. The Premier of Queensland, though, helps us settle this debate regarding the definition of coercion. In a tweet on the 17th of February, 2021, the Premier defined coercion herself. This is what she wrote. Coercive control is a form of non-physical domestic and family violence. It includes behaviours such as controlling what someone wears, limiting access to money, tracking someone's location, controlling who they see, and persistent texting, and it can lead to physical violence. This is thoroughly consistent with dictionary definitions as well. And this is ironic in that the government knows exactly what coercion is and highlights the fact that there are rules for thee, but not for me. That idiom could also act as a simple definition of tyranny. The government controlled what people wore, their access to money, tracked their locations, controlled their social interactions, and arrested them with people who carry guns. They not only defined coercion, they exemplified it. Mm. For many work sectors, the medical mandates for the COVID years meant that one needed to comply with something that they may have been disagreeable to them or otherwise lose their livelihoods. So either we call a spade a spade and define medical mandates as coercion against conscience, or we take the side of the pragmatist welding the dictum that the ends justify the means. And this is important because you cannot argue that what happened wasn't coercion because it is both blatantly obvious that it was coercion. But for those of you who may have not have thought it was because you've accidentally misunderstood and conflated coercion with force, you now see that the Premier of Queensland's own definition of coercion fits the pattern of behaviour that we saw in the last year. That's exactly right. Um, so what's really important for us to understand uh, is that this has been going on for a very, very long time. Uh, and what we want to now know is who's been coerced to have vaccines and if there are any injuries that have resulted from them, uh, because if so, that sounds to me like criminal conduct. That's against all the rules. Uh, we've heard it over and over again from every commentator and, and every uh, you know pundit with a Facebook profile that the Australian Immunisation Handbook says that vaccines must be free of all coercion, compulsion and manipulation. Mm. Uh, those are the words that the Vaccine Handbook says. That's the ethical guideline that we've long stood for and accepted. Uh, and this isn't a conspiracy theory. This is an accepted social standard that we should all subscribe to and we should all protect because this is called ethics, ethics that are situational and disposable are junk. Those are junk ethics, and I don't want any part of that. Now, there are heaps of people who perhaps take the conversation a little bit too far and they see monsters under the bed, um, and maybe they actually do the cause for freedom a little bit of harm because they're saying incredible things. Uh, and so what I look for is people smarter than me 
who have a reputation for credibility and sobriety in their research uh, and investigations. And today we're joined by a forensic accountant who has a long history and career of doing investigations and her entire job at very high levels of government and bureaucracy have been to ferret out that unethical behaviour, expose it uh, and uh, and make it right. Mm -hmm. uh, Leanne Bartram, welcome to Pillow Talk. Tell us a little bit about your career um, and the, the items on your resume which should give somebody uh, at least a reason to hear what you have to say. Well, my last position, I worked with Queensland Health and I was an investigator there. And um, But prior to that, I worked at the Crime and Corruption Commission in Queensland for a year. And prior to that, I was I worked with Centrelink and um, was in um, charge of investigating serious fraud, which was amounts um, over 80 grand or something. And, right. um, and with that, um, I had to... Um, attend court and um, give evidence for those um, crimes. Um, but mainly my um, my background for this, for what I'm doing, is uh, my time in Queensland Health. And so it gave me a lot of background in, you know, um, how it runs because I had to investigate or had to look at all the policies and, and everything and, um, and interview, interviewed a lot of people, understood all the um, HR, human... Um, Human rec, uh, what is it? Resources. Uh, resources, yeah, yeah, yep, that's right. And um, and so, you know, had a lot of those investigations, and I was the only forensic accountant uh, with uh, Queensland Health, so I got all the fraud-related cases and um, the senior officers who conducted that and well, did those frauds, and you know, including people in Queensland might remember the Tahitian Prince. Um, I think it was about sixteen point nine million, the biggest um, fraud in. Um, I think it maybe How did he do government. that? What was his actual uh, con or, or fraud? Uh, it was pretty simple. Um, usually frauds just don't make up anything really um, different, but um, it was because his um, supervisors would, uh, you know, just yeah, they don't um, check anything and so they actually didn't get away with a lot of stuff. And they, he said he had qualifications, which turned out he had nothing and he was a finance um, manager or something, and then um, he gave people gifts, and um, and he was able to um, put fake invoices in and get paid. And um, was he an actual prince, or was that part of the fraud? No, he was actually he was a New Zealander. And, <laughs> and so, yeah, so no, he wasn't. He wasn't. And um, and so even even um, interestingly, um, even the politicians in Queensland thought he was a prince, and so wow. he got invites. Wow. Um, which not many people might know that. Um, but, yeah, so that was interesting going through the evidence. And and you were the guy who caught him? Well, no, no, I wouldn't say that, but I was um, there on the night that someone said, we think that there's something a bit fishy going on and the, and, and the police um, liaison there wouldn't come back because um, he said he thought it would be, um, you know, the banks would be closed, you couldn't do anything now. And I said, no, it wouldn't wouldn't matter and so I went upstairs with the director and looked at the documents and and said yeah it's a fraud so we called the fraud squad and they came in and um yeah and um just you know kind of um put a um a 
thing up to, to look for him and stuff, yeah. So, so forgive then, me if I'm leading the witness, um, <laughs> but uh, I, I guess you know the topic we're talking about here and you're obviously <laughs> here for a reason. So the obvious question is, um, have you discovered, suspected or even found evidence of fraud um, in the government response to the COVID-19 virus? I think the um, it's a fraud from the beginning because um, I've been interviewing uh, nurses from ED and ICU and um, a number of Queensland Health Hospitals and there's been no COVID patients there or, or there was probably, they told me in one hospital there were six COVID patients and they all survived. Yeah, so um, there really was, they actually um, had the COVID ward at one stage had zip ties on it so that the staff couldn't go and have breaks and rests in there. So um, so there was no patients in there when you zip tied and, and um, you know, but they tested everyone and anyone who came in and then they'd put them in hospital to wait and see um, if they became positive. And, and as we know now, the, the PCR tests. I don't find accurate. that hard to believe because, I mean, there was very low hospitalisations. Mm. Uh, I, I know many nurses as well um, in, in Queensland hospitals. Um, and when I say many, you know, maybe a handful, uh, that kind of anecdote isn't rare where mm. they say, well, where are the patients? Because they're not in the hospitals. The wards aren't overflowing. We're not run off our feet. Uh, maybe they're dying in the community, but they're certainly not here mm. um, or not the vast droves of them that we were counted. So how are they, are they fudging figures or are they, are they just somewhere else or how is this? How and would you take a guess as why? Oh, I don't, I don't, the, well, the chief health officer um, did a research paper on the first 200 COVID patients um, at Gold Coast, and he set up the Gold Coast um, uh, COVID ward. So he was. Was this before that. he was Cho? Yes, yeah. So right. he he only became Cho on his birthday. Actually, was it December? Or, I, I don't think, know his December. birthday. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> on his birthday he became Cho, and um, and. And so in that paper, um, he actually used hydroxychloroquine, whatever it's Hydroxychloroquine. Thank you, yeah. I've practised. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and, um, and so he, he used that on some of the patients and uh, none of the 200 died. So, but they weren't in the hospital. I think they were at home. We didn't, I don't know where he found them all, but um, yeah. it would have probably just been PCR tests and, yeah, so... Oh, and that's exactly the time you were meant to use HCQ was was uh, before the symptoms were acute and yeah, final stages. Yeah, but I've got a, I don't know about the timing of it, whether he used it when it was banned in Queensland or not. So I haven't kind of looked at. Well, that. he was probably got permission for uh -huh. for trials. I, I I knew there were I knew of some trials that were going on with those ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Yeah. They were on the radio long after they were banned, and they were talking about those trials being yes. being ongoing on you know ABC crazy stuff. Um, so what is it that you're trying to do right now? What's the objective of all the research and investigation and uh, and police reports that you're mm. you're compiling? Well, uh, just I realised that, you know, you've got to do something to stop this and we didn't know how to get their attention. But um, we I realised earlier on it was a crime and I asked, um, I found someone who's been helping me up until um, about four weeks ago uh, and that person can't. Um, for personal reasons continue and so we decided that uh, we would ask for people to come forward who have been injured uh, with have after having the vaccine and we will do a um, do an affidavit tell their story and in an affidavit and then we would take it to the police and report it as a crime 
And so we have been doing that for this time. And the reason of the affidavit is because it's more efficient on police time yeah, yeah. as opposed so, to yeah. so, so, so making that, them note down the story? That's right. So that, that was the... That would be most of their statement because they have to take a statement and mm -hmm. so that would save them time and then you know we wouldn't get an objection to say we haven't got enough time we've got you know less staff now because everyone's left because they won't um, take the vaccine Smart. and yeah so we thought well we'll just take remove that from the argument and and so it's been really um interesting when we go in there because the police have a responsibility to um take a complaint and um, not question it, just take it, and then later, you know, when it gets reviewed, they decide to investigate or not. But um, it's been interesting, uh, the responses from the police when we go in, and some have been um, good and some have been interesting and some have been not so good. <laughs> so the the goal, though, just to just to articulate this, the, the goal of collecting all these police reports, uh, you're not expecting cops to investigate these one by one, are you? Well, they can, um, but what uh, one, one policeman said to me, well, if this is the case, uh, we'd be getting thousands of complaints if this was a crime. But what we're, hope, what we're wanting is that um, when, they get a, when the police get a number, um, like in the needle in the strawberry, they had five complaints and they made it into a um, operation, a major crime. Uh, then they have to say, well, we've got the complaints all about the same thing. So by operation, you mean like they give it a name. This is yes. Operation Strawberry Hunt yes. um, or whatever the yeah. name yeah. might be that they creatively yeah. they imagine. They the same as the, um, <laughs> the subject, um, yeah. and, and But it, that kind of um, scaled response is triggered by, yes. in a this number, case, yeah. as few as five reports. Yeah, and so, a number, and so our thinking was it could be 10, 10 complaints, maybe 20 complaints. Right. And so, um, so we've started. Uh, we started doing that, and then once it becomes a major crime, what we were hoping to do was then go to all the centres and the pharmacists and the doctors and GPs, start at the, at the lower level, and say this this is now a major crime. You need to stop injecting people. Interesting. And because we want to um, stop them coming for the children, and they've already come for the children. Yeah. And now they're going to. Um, I'm hearing it's in the US. It's coming down to six months. Really, mm -hmm. and of course they're um, routinely injecting people with fourth jab now. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the damage is obviously done for a lot of them, um, but they're but, but, not planning on stopping, are they? No, and and you know, and people they didn't know. You know, they got it because they thought it was the right thing to do. They didn't realise the coercion was there. They, you know, they um, did to protect others, they, like various reasons. But what we're hearing mostly is the people that are coming to us, I guess that's because they knew they didn't want it in the first place, are the ones that were mandated for, mandated for their job. So is the goal simply to have that status achieved? This is a police operation. It's a triple C operation. Um, we've now achieved the status of major crime and, and that alone is enough to catalyse a change or is there a goal to hold a particular person entity or group of people to legal account with yeah. with the conclusion of that operation well, well they have to investigate and the people who um, cause the assault well they're, they're held um, liable but also i've got there's other criminal matters that we're um that i'm looking at and um and so they will be yeah, other matters I can't talk about at the moment. But um, yep, yeah, so there's other, other other things that we're doing. Um, but this was this is the main thing, and 
um, just hearing people's stories has just been really um, difficult to hear them. And and the worst thing is that they will um, have the um, the vaccine because they want to keep their job. They get injured, you know, a lot of the times on the first vaccine. Then work pressures them, and if they don't get the second one, they lose their jobs mm. because Shame. they're contagious or whatever. And so, and then allegedly, yeah. And then, and then it goes on to homelessness. Um, they can't pay for the doctors, and and the doctors don't believe them. Mm. And so they go to the hospital, and the main things that they're being told is that stress, anxiety, or broken heart disease. I think that links with the um, heart. Yeah, it's sad. They've been told that mm. broken heart disease. Wow. Yeah. Leanne, um, how many formal complaints have you managed to have registered with the police uh, um, so far? To about eight or nine. Um, and can you tell us um, maybe a handful, two or three of the stories, um, in, in whatever detail you're comfortable to, yeah. um, that obviously doesn't jeopardise what you're trying to do legally. Um, just tell us some of these stories that. Uh, society we individuals as well as uh, our leaders should be concerned about mm -hmm. well um i've asked a few people if i can talk today and it's, um so uh there's a there's a young girl and she's 38 and uh, she felt she worked in the hospital and she felt she should get it because they were you know in the media they were saying you know, if you're working in the hospital and you get COVID, you're jeopardising. So she was feeling really um, scared that she would be made, uh, you know, they put you on the media and say, you know, you're so bad because you brought this into the hospital or whatever. So she got mm. it and uh, she had heart heart issues um, within a few days uh, and and it, hers uh, turned out to be she had a collapsed lung oh. and she's all these other number of things. And so her work which is the hospital, um, said, well, and, uh, you have to still, you have to get the second one. And they, and she said, um, but I've got all these injuries and she still wasn't um, over them. <laughs> and and wow. so she, so they said, well, if you, what we'll do, you're in this organisation, which she thought was an exemption. And when she rang them, they organised for them to go into the hospital to be monitored so they can resuscitate you if you don't, um, survive the next shock. So, Sorry, that's a, a little not following an organisation like a union. Well, well, no, it's part of the hospital, but they they arrange for you to be admitted to the hospital for your injection, so you're on on you can be brought oh. back if anything happens. Wow! So they're planning for the worst possible mm. medical yeah. result from a vaccination, mm. expecting that to be not an impossible consequence of the vaccination. Yeah, because you've had a reaction the first time. And we'll we'll offer you this. So only select. So we're going to have the again. defib standing yeah. by, yeah, and resus. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And isn't that just obscenely immoral? Yes. Yeah. But it's not uncommon. That's what the worst thing is, and 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 the doctors, the senior doctors, think that's an acceptable thing. Man. And I've got emails from the doctors offering that, and they said, well, okay, she had Pfizer. Well, we'll let her have. AstraZeneca this time, Be, because so, I mean the, the the ignorance of this thinking is that your injury will be something we can fix immediately and not something unfixable. Um, and if it or if it is something unfixable, that's a price we have to 
ask you to pay on behalf of the greater good alleged. Mm. Yeah. It's just... And, and that that is what um, a mother who lost a 23-year-old was told, your daughter died for the greater good. Wow. Yeah. That's evil. It is. That's, that's just wrong. Matt, what kind of response do you think, as a pastor with a congregation of people you care for, what kind of response do you think pastors, pulpits and churches as communities um, should be offering uh, to people who have these accounts of their own, uh, because they're myriad, there's at least tens of thousands of these stories in Australia right now, and I'm probably grossly understating that, Mm. Um, but to not exaggerate, uh, you know, how should Christians be responding to these these stories and this trend that's essentially being swept under the rug in society right now. Yeah, uh, the reason I was opening my Bible before is because I knew you were going to ask me that question. <laughs> and I, I wanted to uh, read something in answer to the question. But first, I just want to say this. We need to listen to people and we need to not brush them aside. Mm. We Australia is a very pro-vaccine country and we all know that. And it's just the reality. And uh, many of us wouldn't have even questioned these things up until very recently. And it's really the the coercion and all this sort of stuff which made us to start ask questions. Uh, but a lot of people don't want to be associated with certain groups. <laughs> and what I would just encourage you with, and whether it's a pastor or a Christian, whoever is out there who's struggling with this, there's something really powerful which it says in Hebrews, uh, chapter 13, verse 12 and 13. It says, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. And what does it mean by outside the gate? It means outside the city. And it means that in a literal sense, he suffered outside the city. But he also means it in a metaphorical sense because of what he says next. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. In other words, what Hebrews is saying to us is let's be willing to endure endure a little bit of reproach a little bit of being looked down on to associate with those we wouldn't normally want to be seen with. Mm. And that's a characteristic of Jesus's ministry. And I, I like I've, I've, man, there's such a parallel between it to the point that it's now a metaphor, the word leper yep. and anti-vaxxer. Absolutely. Exactly. Correct. They're not just the, um, to be untouched they're the unmentionable. Um, and if somebody comes to you with an injury, listen to them. I mean, and, 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 and note a pattern, right? Mm. This is a pattern. A, a, a year ago, people were saying this could happen. Some people were saying it would happen. Uh, and some people saw it coming. And those people were brushed aside. And then when it started happening, uh, they, they started getting told you're not allowed to notice it or stuff like that. Or they were, they were being told it's this or it's that or it's this or it's that. Mm. But, I mean, just listen to these people. And if that means having to suffer a little bit of approach, that's a, uh, sorry, reproach, not approach. <laughs> that's okay because Jesus suffered reproach for being associated with people that he shouldn't have been associated with. Mm. And look, I'm not afraid to um, be associated with people who are suffering, whoever they are. And I, I, I know people who are in this category of having taken it because they were coerced or even because they wanted it and they just trusted. They just, they thought this is the right thing to do. So many people did it because they wanted to do their bit for society. Okay, they did their bit for society. Now let's do our bit for them. Yeah. Those who are hurt. Yeah. Is that really so hard? 
and it's probably the same like whichever situation somebody finds themselves on uh they might be uh somebody who's had the vaccine and proud of it and they might need to show some compassion to some people who haven't or who were forced to um but i mean there's people who haven't who are suffering as well it's just social ostracization even from their is that a word ostracism or anyway <laughs> one of those they're being ostracized sometimes even from their own family yeah the, the... Uh, I, I know multiple stories of people who've been not allowed to see newborn babies yeah. um because they wanted to remain vaccine free and the parents had been whipped into this delusional paranoid fear about mortal risk to their infants who have zero risk from covid yes um but by the same token there's people who are vaccine free and proud of it um who might be a little judgmental and look down their nose at somebody who's received an injury from the vaccine that they either willingly had or were coerced to have and you know that compassion still needs to flow deep um regardless of what side you might be politically absolutely i love what jimmy dore says jimmy dore's my favorite lefty <laughs> i mention him a lot but he says um the one thing we can't do is hate our neighbor because we disagree with them. I don't know what, so what Christian. Jim, exactly. I don't mm. even know what Jimmy Dore's religious status is. And he says he says a lot more with that, which is brilliant, which I'll I'll, I'll butcher if I try to say everything he says here, but this there, there was so much push from the top all the way down through society last year. We all saw this to hate our neighbor who didn't agree with us. Mm. Uh, those who didn't want the vaccine were were, were, were shunned, that were, were called troublemakers. I mean, those of us who tried to defend people's right to choose were attacked. It happened yeah. to me personally yeah. in quite um, public uh, display. Uh, and you should and, have had a better tone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just read this from Dylan. Uh, he says, parallel between the Good Samaritan and quote-unquote anti-vaxxers. Samaritans were despised as dogs, and yet in Jesus' parable, it was the despised dog who cared for whoever was in need mm. in stark contrast to the officials and religious hypocrites. Yeah. That scribe and, and Pharisee. Um, uh, Leanne, have you got, sorry, Matt, you wanted to finish up something or say something else? Leanne, is there another story of, of uh, somebody that you've helped to make a, a um, official complaint? Um, just trying to remember. Um, yeah. I've got um, a, another family who, uh, lost their uncle, our, or actually brother, and so he's 65. And I think the ones that have died, they've actually died because they took the vaccine for the job, mate, to keep their job. And I just think that's, you know, just terrible that someone, you know, if you, you either love your job or you need the income, they've pushed everyone back into a corner and you your only um, thing is to take the vaccine, have the vaccine, and then you die and you know and just it's just devastating on the family and then the family actually then the families have to um fight then for justice for their so children you're talking about somebody who's died yes yeah so um yeah so the i've got you're not just talking nebulously and theoretically hypothetically but this is no. an actual police complaint family of a person who's passed away yes from yes. a vaccine injury yes. yeah yeah wow it's about and, as bad as it gets. Yeah, and mm. and then to um, have to um, 
fight with uh, government agencies and things like that because they're still talking the government narrative and you know so they're grieving and then you know they're grieving and then they don't think that they should be able to do any complaints so they're kind of grieving takes a long time let alone when when they've died suddenly because mm. of you know and they've taken a back have a vaccine so are you so, saying just now you said they don't think they should be able to make a complaint do you mean the bureaucrat or the family of the victim well the family um are so grieving that they um you know they can't think about what they need to do and the and mm. the part of it is they don't get asked to do an autopsy mostly and so that's another you've got to think quickly and um some one lady said i never thought to um for her husband died and she said, I never thought to ask for an autopsy mm. and they never offered it. And so now, you know, she hasn't got that. And now, mm. you know, they, they put on the um, death certificate um, something that's historical on the GP record or, or something they don't put, they don't admit, that rarely admit wow. it's the vaccine. And so they've got it. They know, the family knows, know it's caused from the vaccine, um, that um, gentleman in Bruce, in Queensland, he, you know, had a massive stroke plus other um, bleeding and so hemorrhaging elsewhere. And so, you know, that you know, that doesn't happen where you just mm. start. And uh, so it's really hard for the family to um, have to, yeah, just be in that position to have to fight. And and so when, when I speak to them, they find it difficult to, um, read through the story that we've got to do the affidavit. So um, they just need a lot of help with that. Um, you know, so it's just trauma after trauma for them. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I've just gone from my mind what I was uh, just thinking right now. Um, no, it was gone completely. I'm just trying to make up. Yeah, Matt, do you have something to say? Yeah, yeah. So I was, I was just thinking again and... Uh, this is i'm gonna i want to paraphrase what jimmy Dore says because it's very powerful and it's important and he's been saying this for a while now and, and many of us have been saying something similar but he says this and I'll, it is a paraphrase but he'll say uh, don't listen to those who tell you to blame your neighbor because it's not your neighbor's fault that the virus is here it's not your neighbor's fault that the vaccine didn't stop transmission by the way he's he, he's somebody who took the jab and got injured himself so he wasn't an, an anti-vaxxer it's not your neighbor's fault that um, these injuries are happening. It's not your neighbor's fault. And one of the things that's been, there's just been this big pressure because of this time of emergency and crisis to try and pin the blame on a particular group of people who are dissenting. And this happens in times of crisis. It is mm. very normal. It happens during wars. It happens during all sorts of times of crisis. And what happens is at some point we all wake up. We all, uh, we all, uh, everyone realizes, oh my goodness. <laughs> I act really poorly in that time. And one of the things I said to myself over and over again during that time of pressures, I don't want to treat anyone during this time that I'm going to regret because it's, it's easy to do that in a time of pressure and excuse yourself, but mm. then you feel that regret afterwards. And so one thing we're going to need from people on every side of the issue here is forgiveness uh, and, and openness. It's interesting, these basic Christian ideals and teachings um, and also humility and recognize, okay, people... Those of you who thought it, people couldn't get hurt, well, you were wrong. Those people were wrong. Yeah. Those who thought that it was always safe and effective for everybody were wrong. Those who thought that there wouldn't be coercion, there wouldn't be vaccine passports, 
you guys were embarrassingly wrong. Mm. And we all get stuff wrong. Those of us who got stuff right will get stuff wrong in the future. Yes. <laughs> it's not about who was right, who was wrong. It's about we need to be humble and recognize that there are real people out there who are really hurting and we don't want to attack our neighbor because of pressure coming down from on high. We want to love our neighbor. Uh, it's, it's really just basic Christianity. Matt, do you think there's going to need to be a... Um, a moment, an aha moment, let's use those words, and a, a light bulb moment for many churches in much the same way as churches now look back at the way we historically responded to complaints about sexual abuse in the church. And the church's first response uh, was the wrong one uh, in many cases. Um, do you think there's going to be that kind of need for, let's say, evolution and maturity um, where we go, you know what, we really didn't handle this very well um, to start with. That, that compassion, that justice was absent. Yes, yes, absolutely. I've actually written about this myself. And, and the way I kind of view this is that uh, God gave the generation which got that wrong a chance to get it right. And made the same make mistake again and, and then the next generations after that have followed along in that mistake now i know a lot of pastors who have gotten it right there were some great churches out there which did but those who are shunning people talking about this or sharing their issues i think i don't know what it's going to take to wake them up did you get this right from the beginning no not everything i i thought at the first i thought this was uh, and this is why I'm saying it's not about who was right. <laughs> we all get stuff wrong. And I've, I've publicly talked about this. I think uh, uh, when I talked in this early in the year, I publicly apologized for some of the things I got wrong at the beginning of this. Um, but I don't know what it's going to take for the entire church to admit it. Other than this, not, being, not caring about the shame of being associated with those that the society tells you you should be ashamed of. You know what I, I want to observe right now? And that is that the church came to, and when I say the church, I, I mean um, the various denominational organisations um, came to a agreement on the right way to deal with uh, historical or even current complaints of sexual abuse after they were dragged there by the world. Yes. The world got this right before the church did, largely. And credit to, you know, those people. Obviously, generalisations are just general and, and not comprehensive. Um, and the same with this now. Um, I, I hope we can get there before it's popular. Well, and, and I hate to sound like I'm doing shameless self-promotion here because I'm not. But this is why Tim and I wrote the book Defending Conscience, exactly on this issue which you just raised, and this is why we wrote it, and this is why I'm so passionate about this issue. The church taught the, the West the importance of human rights. Mm. These ideas, things like liberty of conscience and, and, and human rights laws, things like this, came out of a deep uh, philosophical and theological tradition of, of, of Bible teaching in the late medieval era. Dignity of the human body. Exactly. The dignity of the human body, uh, fighting against all these things. Right? The, the, the Christian church took the violent world that was Rome and turned it into eventually the kind of world that we get to enjoy today. And I've heard so many church um, people say, 
this is not a gospel issue. This is not a biblical issue. You have no understanding how wrong that is. Mm. I mean, the body is bought with a, with a price. What is that price? The blood of Christ. This goes to the core of the gospel. Mm. Uh, and the fact that Christ is sovereign over that body. We are created in whose image? The image, image of God. Mm. And so this is something which you've just basically touched on. The church has to recognize we can get this right. We have gotten this right. And we need to get this right before society does because society is going to wake up. Yeah. And they're going to start. And then what they're going to do is they're going to turn around and say to the church, and, and the, where were you when all this was going wrong? Which is exactly what happened with institutional child abuse. Yeah. It wasn't just the church at that time. There were other institutions involved. But the church will get held to a higher standard every single time, and it should. Yeah. And we're not talking here about um, complicated or, or controversial Christian values. Um, Leanne, get another story ready in the, in just a minute. I'm going to ask you for another story of person you've helped. Because what we are talking about here is, is Christian values um, like non-discrimination, where we actually welcome the sinners into our midst and, and we welcome the lepers into our midst and we welcome um, the thieves and murderers and prostitutes. And, and we say, you know, it doesn't matter how much I agree or disagree with your ideas because we're all essentially just as worthless before Christ redeems us. Mm. Um, and we're all just as uh, valuable and dignified because of Christ's atoning sacrifice on Calvary. That, that great... Um, exclusive inclusivity of of the gospel it's like everyone's excluded un, until they come through jesus that's that's great so just that that principle alone is something that some churches have been very willing to violate and to separate and divide their congregations not down the lines of scripture which is a good thing to divide on but down the lines of medical status yeah which is which is shameful it's just wrong um leanne um your your work is very important in helping these people to i guess be part of the mechanism it, it doesn't sound like there's a great deal of hope for any individual making a complaint to get justice for the injury or, or death um, that results but um, working towards a, a a number a critical mass which will achieve a major investigation um, what's an, another story of somebody that that you've been able to help with with a um, formal complaint yeah um so there's another guy um he's in he's 50 and uh he had a stroke the same day as the wow. as the vaccine and we just and heard dr peter mccullough say um that no medical professional could put that down to coincidence if they were mm -hmm. following the established epidemiological guidelines mm -hmm. for um attributing causation mm -hmm. to a vaccine yeah and so he actually was already um, having numbness when he was leaving the um, the that quick yeah surgery and he said even he said he was feeling really sick in the stomach and they said that's fine that's normal just go and so he um, drove four kilometers to work and and he wasn't so good and then he um, like that was at nine o'clock I think he got his vaccination 11 11 30 he collapsed and they called an ambulance and then he had um, 
I think he ended up having 10 strokes. So he Gee. had them, he thought he was going to die when he got to the major hospital in Brisbane, but he was at another hospital first. And then, um, and he has a permanent disability in his leg now because it turned and, and all these other issues that he's had with that. And then his work said, because um, he didn't, he knew it was experimental and they wouldn't um, listen to him and said, you have to get it. And then the work did a, um, a letter to him and said, you are, um, you would bring COVID here. And so, you, yeah, like a leper. So you cannot come. This is the and, guy who's been injured. Yeah. So he, he had a stroke the morning of his mm, injection. Mm. And now his work is excluding him from work because he hasn't had a second injection. Yeah, he got sacked. Um, wow. And, but just, it was just the wording of it, you know, that you, you, he wasn't, um, safe to be around other wow. workers and stuff. I've, I've seen many letters from human resources to people and I've, I've got a whole stack of them and I cannot believe the wording that's on there. It's disgraceful. And because I, with, with my um, previous work, I had to, um, you know, there was letters that went out to people for their allegations and everything, but this is, it's, it's disgraceful. And, yeah. um, and, and they ask for an exemption and they are they are it, it's like they are lepers and they are shunned and it's um yeah that's should should we be encouraging people to do the same thing to make these reports yeah well um i'm doing a, do you want people to contact you yeah yep that'd be great so so we need um we need a, a number of people how can they forth. contact you i'll type it in and yep. put it up on the screen yep. on the email lucy b L-U-C-Y-B. 4457. 4457. At gmail.com. At gmail.com. We lost your video yeah. there for a second. And, uh, yeah, and and I'll um, yeah, tell them what we need to put into the affidavit. The, and and it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be a severe injury. It's Is just that details right there? Contact Leanne Bartram, lucyb4457 yeah. at gmail.com. Yeah, that's Perfect. It. I was saying it out loud for the audio-only people as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so they'll email you and you'll tell them how to yes. put their affidavit together. Yeah, well, we help them and, we, yeah, we just um, send out the information to them. Yeah, we've um, formulated a fairly simple process, but um, I think people are, are feeling that uh, they can't speak out. Everyone's, you know, if you've got um, some injury or even I, I spoke to people the other day that who who had decided not to get vaccinated, you can't, you know, no one can speak to each other. The government's made it so that people feel that they can't speak if isolated. you're, yeah, isolated. People, yeah. And that, that's the biggest thing that the people I help, uh, they are isolated, they can't um, speak to anyone else and people don't understand unless they've been through it. There's a very similar phenomenon in um, in the abortion narrative. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the the dominant dogma is abortion is healthcare, uh, my body, my choice. Um, abortion is empowering and liberating, and will help a woman be all that she can be. What that does, though, is it makes it um, it makes it shameful for a woman to admit that she's hurting or grieving yeah. um, or even for a, a man to say, you know, my children have been killed yeah. um, and and for them to, uh, like, yeah, I think it's DSM, uh, the, the psychological diagnostic manuals that psychologists use, psychiatrists, 
um, and I think we're up to DSM-5 now, but in DSM-3, there was a condition described and observed um, called abortion trauma. Yeah. Um, and that's been taken out because it's politically incorrect. They're literally denying therapy because they're denying people the right to even be acknowledged as, as injured uh, or grieving or traumatised um, by any of these experiences. And mm. uh, we, we had um, Dan Hillier comment, uh, put it on screen a minute ago, that um, you know politicians should be able to acknowledge this injustice and this hurt as well as as well as pulpits and pastors, surely our politicians and parliaments should be able to acknowledge the hurt, grief, and suffering that's being caused by their own policies. Mm -hmm. um, I will absolutely lay uh, blame at the feet of the politicians. I have zero hesitation doing that, and I mean both sides of the aisle, because our the not just the government, but the oppositions um, in the parliaments around this nation, both state and federal, were acquiescent they just went along with the shutdown of parliaments the shutdown of debate and and it was like this was a non-partisan issue like a foreign enemy was invading darwin and we all had to get on the same page and, and repel no we absolutely needed that democratic process to be more robust than ever absolutely. in the declaration of emergencies for for very flimsy reasons mm. and the extension of them and the the trampling of human rights um our parliaments you know not to get off on a bandwagon right there which i would you know frequently easily do but the reality is that the politicians should now be able should be should be human enough and adult enough and mature enough right now to say i'm sorry i got it wrong how can I help now? Um, yeah. How can we? How can we care for you now? How can we make this right? If such a thing were possible, when your loved one is now six foot under because of our policies, um, that's an immense weight. But it is guilt, and there's no possible um, healing from that for many of these people with, without the perpetrators even admitting um, that they're guilty. Well, they did. Um offer money for funerals and money for people if they're injured as well but you, you, it's difficult to get both those so when they come out and, and it's been a number of months and offer to pay for funeral costs if you die from the vaccine it's kind of admitting yeah. wow but, but some of the people have said they felt gaslighted they get PTSD when they're still hearing the ads mm. saying safe and effective get vaccinated of course yes and so it's just so an criminal on, it's an ongoing thing yeah I, I know people who believed it was safe and effective. Um, and they had family who was telling him it's not, and then they got it and then something happened and they're like, wow, mm -hmm. the injuries they deal with, and, you know, I, I don't have permission to share, so I won't, but um, it, it's, it's not rare. I mean, it, the most common thing right now is rare events. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit freaky actually, yeah, how yeah. much is happening. And we don't know the number, um, but we know that it's real. And it shouldn't be denied just because it's uncomfortable. And it is uncomfortable for a lot of people, um, but it's important that these people are heard. And again, this isn't fantastical, hyperventilating hyperbole. It, by the established medical standards prior to 2020, long established um, until they were inconvenient, um, th this isn't, th this is well beyond the threshold for a real problem. And it, it's not unprecedented. 
I mean, during World War One and World War Two, long established rules of war were thrown out of out the window uh, because in the heat of battle, and in, when I say the heat of battle, I don't just mean on the battlefield. I mean in the concept of this is a total war. They did things which many people today still think were disastrous. And you hear some of the interviews of some of the soldiers who are involved in those things and 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 they're living with their own scars of their own actions that they were commanded. You know what I mean? So yeah. this, is a, a, this is a very uh, normal and common human phenomenon that we need to recognize. And when, it, when we're in the midst of it happening, it's hard to admit it. But if you have that historical perspective, it actually gives you a little bit of a bird's eye view and say, well, hang on a second, I can step outside of this a little bit and recognize you know, this generation went through it in this way and this generation went through it in this way and I don't want to make the same mistake of looking back on myself in 20 years and thinking, why didn't I listen to that person? Mm. Why didn't I just acknowledge it? Was it really that hard? Yeah. Uh, why didn't I just go a little bit further to help someone? Uh, it, it's it's not really anything radical that we're talking about here. It's, yeah. it's what used to be considered basic Aussie values, basic Christian decency, and what Leanne's doing is incredible, and and it, it's just so encouraging to me. Yeah. Well, Leanne, thank you very much. Um, really appreciated you telling us about your work. You're trying to get as many people on the record as as possible, and and uh, in official p police complaints, um, and to hopefully generate enough of these complaints to launch a major investigation because there has been a major crime committed. Um, the the coercion alone. Uh, is is a major crime, um, and uh, and so if you want to contact Leanne again, um, the detail is uh, Leanne Bartram. Email lucyb four four five seven at gmail .com. The ambition being that um, we can generate a major investigation and just get some acknowledgement, um, let alone some accountability for those those people who perpetuated, uh, at the very least, the worst policy failure um, since Federation, uh, if if not a, a, a real immense crime um, on, on this nation. And hopefully we also get a whole bunch of um, politicians and pastors uh, just extending uh, extraordinary compassion and, and empathy to those people instead of sweeping it under the rug uh, because... It may not be popular to acknowledge the reality of of this uh, human cost of government policy. This isn't a result of the virus. This is a result of policy, mm -hmm. uh, and and that's why there needs to be accountability in this. Politicians or not, um, they they really broke basic common morality and and natural law standards um, in that. Um, Thelma says, uh, sorry, Thelema says, um, you're kidding yourselves that there's going to be any accountability. Well, maybe, um, but the best thing to do is to do our best um, and certainly not to give up without trying because that would be a guaranteed result. Absolutely. Um, at least this way we, we have a chance uh, of, and certainly of putting it on the record. Mm -hmm. uh, Audrey Bosley is watching from America and says, uh, how much uh, she loves this discussion. Um, yeah, and it may take decades for the history records to be accurate, um, but we, we certainly shouldn't um, give up in this. Well, I want to thank you very much for watching 
Hello Talk today, uh, especially as we have taken this show off YouTube and Facebook for its incendiary nature. It goes against the status quo and the narratives that Silicon Valley and big tech uh, would um, approve of on their platforms. Um, and so thanks to Rumble for being able to provide a platform that is uncensored and promotes free speech, especially when done like we're doing with uh, uh, acknowledgement of facts and evidence and in a sober um, non-criminal way I mean that's, that's basically the standard that there should be so thank you to coming to the web for coming to the website to watch this uh, whole video or if you're listening on the podcast um, it's available there uncensored as well thank you to good source supporters for putting your hand in your pocket each week or month and um, enabling us to continue this uh, great work um, keeping the lying harlot media honest and accountable by telling the truth when they refuse to. If you'd like to subscribe to our newsletter or become a supporter, head to the website, goodsource.news. But that is it for this episode of Pillow Talk this week and uh, look forward to seeing you next week. Today, we need a special kind of courage. Not the kind needed in battle, but a kind which makes us stand up for everything that we know is right, everything that is true and honest. We need the kind of courage that can withstand the subtle corruption of the cynics, so that we can show the world that we are not afraid of the future.